As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a series I like to call My Husband Thinks I'm an Idiot. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I don't think you're an idiot. You're dangerously smart. Um, No. I sent JG a text the other day and because I needed to know some stuff about banking that we're doing. And they said that we had to have something to them by EOD. Um, and so I sent JG a text and I said, what does EOD mean to the bank? And he sent me a text back that said, end of day. <laughs> Well, that's, I think, a reasonable response. You were looking for the hour that the, what right. the bank considered to be their end yes. of day. Was yeah. it, is it 4.30? <laughs> is it 5? Is it 5.30? Uh, is it the time that the drive fruit closes? Or is it the time that the, the, in, like the lobby closes? What, uh, what time? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. That's one example. That's one. Oh, my gosh. No, there are plenty. There's, there are many examples. Give me of another exam- one. Oh God. Um, okay. So when I, <laughs> when I was like, uh, Hey, I can, since we can split the driving down to Florida, I can come up with a four day driving plan so we can save on hotel stays if you'd like that. And you wrote back, we can split the driving either way. <laughs> Okay. And I wrote, yeah, I, I know, yeah. but since since we are splitting, oh geez, since we are splitting the driving, we can <laughs> shave a day off the. If you wanted to do that, no, I like the plan. <sighs> Doesn't translate well. Is it the text, text thing? It's the text thing. Is that what it yeah. is? Not yeah. that you think I'm a dumb dumb. No, actually, I think you're <laughs> you're, you're displaying these text exchanges points out that I'm really the dumb dumb <laughs> but I love you I'm a dumb dumb who loves you no how does it feel being married to a dumb dumb uh, it's pretty good you're actually a, you're a dumb dumb marrier I like, I like it <laughs> okay all right well good well at least we're both happy 
All right, here we go. This time of year, we're getting close to Halloween. And yes. by by the way, if you have not got your tickets to see us in New York City on uh, the weekend, Halloween weekend, it's the Friday night of Halloween weekend. Uh, tickets are on sale, theboxofoddities.com. And also, you can stream it live. Yes. Same place you can buy your, your virtual ticket. So if you can't come to New York to see the show, that's fine. Watch it from your living room. Anyway, we're getting geared up. For Halloween season. Yeah. And uh, this is the perfect time of year for a good old fashioned classic haunted house story. Oh, yes, please. This is the true story of the Lemp Mansion in Benton Park, St. Louis, Missouri. And before we start, let me just say trigger warning there's talk of murder and suicide. Like many reported haunted houses, the Lemp Mansion was no stranger to tragedy. In fact, they probably had far more than their share of tragedy within this building. It was built in 1868, and underneath the mansion is a network of caves Ooh. and an extensive basement where the family brewed beer. The Lemp Brewery was an extremely well-known brewery in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. In fact, they uh, invented the Falstaff beer brand that is still being produced today by another brewery. Oh, wow. But because of all the tragedy that it saw over the decades, there have been many, many unexplained sightings and phenomena that have caused people to believe that the Lemp Mansion is haunted and that the Lemp family was cursed. In fact, in 1980, Life magazine named the Lemp Mansion one of the top 10 most haunted buildings in North America. Oh, wow. I didn't know that that was something that Life Magazine did. Apparently they did. <laughs> so here's what happened at the Lemp Mansion. In 1876, the house was purchased by William Lemp Sr. He had recently taken over the family's brewing business soon after his father had passed. His dad died in like 1862. The house was then expanded into a luxurious estate that uh, appears much the same way today as it did back then. Along with a network of caves under the house, it contained several secret passageways. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, they linked the house to the nearby brewery. So the tragedies began with William Sr.'s fourth son, Frederick. Unknown to William Sr., Frederick had some pretty significant health issues. And again, this was, you know, early 1900s. On December 12, 1901, Frederick died of heart failure due to complications from other diseases that he had. Uh, William Sr. was gutted by this. He took it extremely hard. It seemed to come out of nowhere. I mean, they knew he wasn't feeling well, but his heart condition was undiagnosed, and mm -hmm. of course, medical science was still pretty primitive. Right. William Sr. never seemed to, to uh, overcome the death of his son. So on the morning of February 13th, 1904, William Lemp uh, Sr. died by suicide. He was mm. a gunshot wound to the head. He was pronounced dead at 10.15 a.m. William Lamp Jr., the family called him Billy, took over the brewery as president. Billy went through a very nasty divorce in 1908, Apparently, he had been fooling around with another woman. His wife charged him with desertion, 
cruel treatment and other indignities. Uh, Billy lost custody of his son, William III. He was only given visitation rights. Now, I mentioned that uh, one of the major issues was that he was fooling around on his wife. Right. And, and that's what happens when you fool around on your wife. You lose everything. Yeah, he lost everything. Um, also, he fathered an illegitimate son. The young man was born with Down syndrome. Um, the family and people around the family, they weren't very sympathetic to this. They referred to him as the monkey face oh boy. Oh my gosh, no. I know. Stop it. It's awful. And he spent his entire life locked in the attic. No. At the uh, mansion. This is terrible. It's terrible. Then Prohibition rolled around. Not good for the brewery industry, and uh, the Lemp Brewery certainly suffered greatly. I mean, I kind of feel like you deserve it. So they had to shut the brewery down, and that's when they sold off the Falstaff trademark. The actual physical brewery itself, the entire complex, was then sold to the International Shoe Company for slightly more than a half million dollars. Billy Lemp felt like... Um, he had lost the family business, hmm. that he had been entrusted with carrying this multi-generation brewery mm -hmm. uh, on to the future, to the next generation, but on his watch, it failed. Yep. On December 29th, 1922, Billy Lemp shot himself oh, in the head in the office. Elsa Lemp, Elsa Lemp Wright, she was the youngest daughter of William Sr. She married Thomas Wright. They separated in 1918, and a year later she filed for a divorce. She cited, among other things, damage to her mental health and physical well-being. The divorce was granted after a trial, but Thomas and Elsa decided to give it another go to reconcile. So they actually remarried in March of 1920. Later that month, on the 20th of March, Elsa shot herself while she was in bed. Oh my gosh. Now, it was ruled suicide, but many suspected foul play mm -hmm. and that her husband, Thomas, may have been involved at some level. Then there was Charles Lemp. He was the third son of William Sr. He left the brewery to go into banking and finance on his own in 1917. He also was a local politician. Charles never married. He lived with his dog in the mansion with two servants. In April of 1941, he wrote an unusual letter to the South St. Louis Funeral Home. The letter requested that in case of his death, his remains should be taken by ambulance immediately to the Missouri crematory. His body should not be bathed, clothed, or changed. His ashes were to be placed in a wicker box and buried on his farm in the country. It nope. feels like he has some sort of plan. He wanted no funeral, mm -hmm. no notice in the newspaper. Eight years later, he shot himself in the head. Oh my gosh. Leaving this note behind, quote, St. Louis, Missouri, May 9th, 1949. In case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me, Charles A. Lemp. After Charles' death, the only surviving son of William Sr., was Edwin Lemp. I'm sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. um, but do you have any information about where the illegitimate son of the the first William, Billy, I guess it was, where, where did he end up? I don't know what happened to him. Okay, that's terrible. Just that he lived his entire life out 
in the attic. I don't know when he passed. Okay, fine. So again, after Charles' death, the only surviving son of William Sr. was Edwin Lemp. I love the name Edwin. He did have a brother, Louis Lemp, who was actually the second oldest, but he had died uh, in 1931 of natural causes. He's the only one that died of natural causes. Edwin, the last surviving son of... of uh, William Sr. died in 1970 of natural causes at the age of 90. But he left a very strange request in his will. His final request, the last order to his caretaker was, collect all of the art and the family heirlooms and burn them. Wow. And this request was carried out. No one knows why. But the mansion's reputation of being haunted is more than that. It's really haunted. In 1975, it was purchased and converted into a restaurant and an inn, which is still in business to this day. You can go and stay oh, cool. there. During the renovation, the workers that were at the construction site were plagued with strange phenomena. In fact, it was so bad, some of them just left. They didn't give a notice. They just quit and never came back. Apparitions appear and then quickly dissolve. People to this day are hearing voices and sounds that seem to come from nowhere in the mansion. There's the sound of dinnerware and glasses clinking and silver scraping against fine china in the middle of the night. Oh, man. How they know it's fine china is beyond me. The sound, obviously. has a certain sound. It sounds nothing like ours. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when we champagne toast. Clunk. Yeah, you know, we got our flutes from Ikea. Um, Doors will slam shut on their own and lock. Lights will flicker on and off. Well, it's an old building. In the bar area, there sits a piano. And this area was once the office of William Lemp Jr. And it was the scene of where he shot himself. Oh, jeez. The piano often starts playing when no one is even near it. And it's not a player piano. No. It just starts playing, and it's been witnessed by scores of people, allegedly. Some of the most active areas are the stairway, and there's a spot in the basement that was used as an entrance to get into where the caves were and everything, and uh, the uh, employees lovingly refer to it as the gates of hell. Oh, my God. But the most active spot, reportedly, is the attic. The attic is said to be haunted by William's illegitimate son. Uh, Strange things are seen on the third floor level in the attic. Well, I mean, yeah, I'd haunt the shit out of that place, too. Damn right. It's been reported that uh, the face of a boy regularly is seen from the street peeking out of the small attic window. Uh, A bunch of ghost hunters went there. I'm not sure which show it was, but uh, one of the ghost hunter shows went there. And they set up cameras in the attic and they put toys down and they were exploring the rest of the house. And when they came back, the toys had been moved to a completely different location in the attic. Mm-hmm. And so they referenced the video and the toys, they just, it, they're just moving across the floor by themselves. It's a drafty attic. <laughs> okay. Downstairs in the women's bathroom, there have been reports of a man who will... Is it moaning Myrna? <laughs> no. Um, it's a man who peeks over the stall when women are occupying it. Oh, my goodness. Now you're thinking, okay, so they got a peeping Tom there. 
reportedly, the man's face will peek over the stall and then just dissolve and vanish. That's what should happen to any peeping Tom. (laughs) In William Lemp Sr.'s room, which, by the way, you can stay at at the inn. You can go and stay in, in his room where bad things happened. It sounds like you're lucky to find a room where bad things didn't happen. Yeah, in that house. There have been consistent reports from people who have stayed in that room that they hear in the middle of the night the sound of somebody running up the stairs and kicking at the door. Now, when when William shot himself, it's reported that William Jr. heard the gunshot and ran up the stairs and his father's door was locked, and so he had to kick the door in to get to his father. Uh Employees have reported hearing the sound of horses outside of William Sr.'s office. And when they looked outside, where there currently is a parking lot, there was no parking lot. There was what appeared to be a horse corral. Aha. And this has happened more than once. These reports continue to this day. The Lemp Mansion, it's located at 3222 Damon Hill Place, not far from the Mississippi River. You can still reserve your very own room there. Keep in mind that you might see objects flying across the room in the middle of the night. Or a ghostly peeping Tom. Or a horse looking in your window from what now is a parking lot. My source material, cool, interesting stuff, Wikipedia and Legends of America. (laughs) The Lemp Mansion has now moved up on my list of places that we need to go and stay. (laughs) Would you stay there? Uh, sure. Yeah? Yeah. You wouldn't have any reservations about it. I'd have to make a reservation, I imagine. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. Aerial refueling, also referred to as in-flight refueling, is the process of transferring aviation fuel from one military craft to another during flight. It's most commonly done with what's called a rigid boom system, as well as extremely high-tech software. But the first aerial refueling happened in 1921, when Wesley May carried a five-gallon can of gas on his back while climbing out of one airplane and into another. This liner was about nine minutes long, till Cat and Jethro edited the living hell out of it. Fine, whatever. I don't edit their shit. This is the Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Bridget sent us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hi, Kat and Jethro. I think it's the rules that I have to email you now because I had my third Box of Oddities effect. Three, huh? The first one happened while driving over a year ago. I looked down at a dumb little tattoo on my arm thinking, meh, that tattoo is stupid. I think I'll have it covered up. And then Kat immediately went into a thing in the middle about bad tattoos. Oh, no. <laughs> That's when I started my list on my phone in the Notes app, which reads, Boo Effect. Number one, tattoo. Number two, caterpillar. Number three, silhouette underwear. Let me, <laughs> let me explain. Yes, please. The second time, I was in my garden reading an article about the giant caterpillars that were devouring my tomato plants. And I started reading about these parasitic wasps that take over the caterpillar's body and use them like little zombie wasp egg defenders. Mm -hmm. And then Kat goes into her story about parasitic wasps that take over caterpillar bodies and use them like little zombie wasp egg defenders. <laughs> Finally, today I was walking through the grocery store listening to a more recent episode, Revolutionary War Era Rapper, Classic, fantastic boo title, by the way. When Jethro said the word silhouette, at the exact moment I looked up to uh, see these fancy Depends underwear for ladies called silhouette on the shelf in front of me. Please see attached photo for reference. 
What period in period the period heck. Uh, <laughs> third time's a freaky charm. Love you guys. Bridget, a freak from New Jersey. Thanks, Bridget. Wonderful. Three in a row. And that, of course, brings me to the point in the program where I ask my beautiful bride, Katrina Walls, if in fact she has something for me. Wednesday, September 6th. 2006 started like any other day for Susan Kunhausen. She woke up, opened her bedroom curtains, and started her day. The 51-year-old went to Providence Portland Medical Center to begin her shift as an emergency room nurse, which she'd done for 30 years. After her shift, she went to get her hair did, and while she was waiting her turn, she picked up a copy of Oprah magazine and read a poem by Donna Markova. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear. The poem goes on. Susan had married a man named Michael. They met through a personal ad in 1986. They married two years later. But over time, their marriage soured. Michael changed from charming and attentive to a selfish, controlling Mm. bully. Actually, at one point, she said that when she would go to kiss him, he would just burp in her face. Oh, my God. Which I think is just the most rude thing. Anyway, after trying counseling, which I can't even imagine after the burping thing. (laughs) No, um, that's a deal breaker. They separated in 2005. And Susan told Michael she wanted to make their split permanent the following year. So he moved out into his father's home. And this was, they'd been married for 20 years, Like almost. 17 years, 17 something years. like that. Yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. So Susan got home from her long day as an ER nurse. She unlocked the door and disabled her security system. There was a note from Mike that had been left in the entry that said he hadn't been sleeping well and he went to the beach, which I think is kind of weird to go to her house and put a note in there Mm -hmm. saying that he was going to the beach, but whatever. Um, So she took off her shoes and noticed her darkened bedroom, which was weird because it was still daylight. And she thought, had I forgotten to open the curtains this morning? Normally that's my thing. Um, But, you know, didn't think much of it until she turned around to find a man she had never seen before standing in her home. The man lunged at Susan and began to hit her in the head with a hammer. Oh, my God. First hitting her in her left temple. At five foot nine, the 59-year-old stranger weighed about 190 pounds. He was wearing a baseball hat pulled down low over his eyes. He had a ponytail that was tucked into the cap, and he was wearing yellow rubber gloves, and he was holding a black claw hammer. Now, Susan fought back. She punched and bit the guy, and she just knew he was there to kill her. I mean, it wasn't like she had interrupted him robbing the house or something, and he attacked her. It was he was standing there waiting to kill her. At one point, he spun her around, and he punched her in the face, and it split her top lip open, and it knocked her to the floor. And he said, you're strong. She saw him standing there, hammer in hand over her, and she managed to get the strength to pull him down and get the hammer from him. And she hit him several times with his own hammer. Oh, my God. 
she remembered her father was a carpenter and he always said that a hammer could be used for self-defense. I totally agree, by the way. It's one of my favorites. I don't think that many people would argue that. Point. Yeah. It's, what amazes me is you have not been denied access to an airplane because you've had a hammer in your purse yet. Anyway, she remembers him saying the claw side of the hammer works best when attacking a person. Well, that makes sense. And Susan worked in an ER, which is not easy work. Um, she had experience administering IVs into thrashing patients, occasionally had to crack open chests in order to perform heart massages. So she was not in any way intimidated by opening this guy's cranium with a claw hammer. Well... I think that anyone would be intimidated by a stranger in their home, but she had also uh, received regular self-defense training as oh. a nurse oh. in the ER. It's just something that their hospital does, which I think is really smart. Unfortunately, in the struggle, the attacker got the hammer back and continued to attack her. Uh, using all of her strength, Susan managed to pull him down to the ground. She threw her leg over his body and climbed on top of him, pinning him down. She grabbed his throat and started to choke him, and she screamed at him, who sent you here? And the intruder's face turned red and then purple and then kind of bluish and she kind of freaked out you yeah, know yeah. and uh so she tried to run out of the house but the guy got up and he caught her in the hallway and he began savagely punching her in the face susan again was able to wrestle him down to oh the floor God. and repeatedly bit him in the arm and the thigh and all she could think was if this man kills me i want proof sure. that he was the one that did it so she just kept biting him and biting him, thinking at least her teeth marks could be used as proof that he was the one who'd done it. Probably DNA as well. So this continued for some time, him continuing to try to hit her with the hammer, her hitting him and biting him. This fight went on for over 10 minutes until eventually she got him in a chokehold oh with God. her left arm. Why didn't this guy just leave when he had a chance? She screamed at him, tell me who sent you here and I will call you a fucking ambulance. <laughs> and he wouldn't say anything. The only thing that he said during this entire altercation is when he told her that she was strong. Hmm. He tried to flip her, but her self-defense training allowed her to stay in control until he stopped moving. Oh, my God. So as soon as he stopped moving, she grabbed her hammer and she ran to the neighbor's house to ask them to call 911, which I'm sure was just terrifying for them as well. Yeah, when your neighbor knocks on your door covered in blood and holding a claw hammer. Mm. Yeah. Well, the 911 dispatcher, there's they actually uh, have released this call. The 911 dispatcher said, what did she use on him? And the neighbor said she strangled him. Uh, she put a chokehold on him, and the 911 operator said, stay on the line, we've got help on the way. And the neighbor said, she has a hammer here. <laughs> and the 911 operator said, don't touch it, don't touch that <laughs> hammer, just leave it there. But it must have been so surreal to have this conversation over 911. I would think so. Police found a wallet with an ID in the man's back pocket when they arrived. The man was Ed Haffey, and he was a 59-year-old uh, vet with a long rap sheet. And an autopsy would show that he had a near lethal dose of cocaine in his system at the time that he attacked Susan. But she offed him, right? I mean, wow. Yep. Whoa. So 
there's this guy dead in her home from both a combination of cocaine, probably his heart was racing because of yeah. the altercation. And yeah. So the day after the attack, uh, Susan's friend Helen came with her back to the house to get some of her belongings. And Helen went into the basement and she said that there was a backpack there that didn't belong. Now, police hadn't noticed this backpack when mm -hmm. they were uh, there the day before. They discovered inside a container of Hershey's syrup, $200 in cash, diabetes pills, and a day book and a pay stub made out to Haffy. There was an entry in this appointment book that said, call Mike. Oh, no. I mean, I'm not surprised that that's where this story is going, but... Oh, no. Yeah, there was also a manila envelope that listed Susan's soon-to-be ex-husband Mike's new cell phone number. Mm -hmm. Court records revealed that 15 years earlier, Haffy had arranged the murder of his own girlfriend. Now, Mike denied knowing Haffy, his employee. Oh, never heard of him. Yeah, never Works heard of him. Works for me, but, you know. Right. I have a big company. Then it was, yeah, well, okay, I know him, but I didn't hire him to kill her. And yes, I happened to disarm the security system that day, but it was just to leave that note saying I was going to the beach. I was at the beach. Right, right. It's a pretty weak alibi. No, because there was a note that said he was at the beach. That's Remember the note? Pretty weak attempt at setting yourself up with an alibi. But there was... No. 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 Okay. So, obviously, this uh, didn't take the police much investigating to arrest Susan's husband, Mike. And on August 30th, 2007, Mike pleaded guilty to soliciting a murder-for-hire plot. During the trial, Susan was given the opportunity to make a statement, and she said to Mike, If I ever believed you deserved to be dead... I would have at least had the balls to kill you myself. <laughs> and there's no doubt in my mind that she could have done it quickly and efficiently. Right. Uh, Mike was sentenced to seven years in prison. Wow. Yeah. Not not great. Um, he claimed that he pleaded guilty to the crime only to escape a potentially longer sentence and mm. said that he was really the true victim in this whole scenario. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fucking Mike. In the years after the attack, Susan felt as though someone was always watching her. Of course, you're going to have severe yeah. trauma related to this event. Um, and she said that after she knew she had killed that man, her first thought was for the family um, because they hadn't done anything wrong to create this sorrow that they were now yeah, living yeah. with, but he had. And, but she said she felt no shame because she didn't choose death for him. She chose life for her. Well, and she also gave him more than enough opportunities. Right? She even said, hey, stop fighting me. I'll call you uh, an ambulance. Right, yeah. So Susan moved to a new home in Portland and spends a lot of her free time practicing at the shooting range. Mm -hmm. um, her na last name is now Walters, and she has become deeply involved with victim advocacy work. She's worked closely with justice organizations in the Portland area, including Women's Strength and Girl Strength programs and the Oregon Crime Victims Law Center. In 2017, Susan worked with the 
county district attorney's office in creating a case companion which is a free website that's dedicated to supporting victims of crime in that area she's just found a way to create healing through helping others and i think that's just amazeballs susan susan is incredible you're the box of oddities big hero of the day and in case you're curious uh mike who again was sentenced Mm -hmm. to seven years in prison died of cancer three months before he was supposed to be released. Wow. Three yeah. months before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, sometimes things work out well. Let's hear it for Susan. I love you, Susan. <laughs> you know, we, we need to wrap this up because we're due to go play hide and seek at Ikea. This was a great idea Kat had. We've been spending a great deal of time at Ikea. She said, this would be a great place to play hide and seek. So we're going to go and see what happens probably will be uh, removed from the store. But not before we get some of those veggie balls. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's my new favorite place. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts